Well, hello, everyone. Welcome, crime fanatics. This is Kat. And I'm Steph, and you have stumbled upon the True Crime Project. That's right. We're just two anxiety-riddled moms who decided to funnel their true crime obsession and insomnia into a podcast. That's about it in a nutshell. Kat and I have shared our love of true crime and podcasts with each other for a while, so I basically harassed Kat with ideas until she agreed to do a podcast with me. Yes, she did. And I'm glad she did, actually, thinking about it. Our past is, it kind of makes sense that we do this together. For the last eight-ish years, we've done big life things together, but just from different states. Steph is from Ohio and has three little boys, and I'm outside of Chicago. I have one of each. But when we were both pregnant with our second, due within just a few weeks of each other, we met on one of those mommy groups online. It's disgusting. I don't think either of us are still in that bad advice, super judgy group anymore, but we have remained friends. We have a lot of the same interests in common, and we're both avid readers and ran a review blog together. We actually met in person at a book signing, and then in 2016, I came up to Chicago to watch the World Series with Kat. Now I'm a diehard Indians fan, and she's a Cubs fan from the womb. I came up to actually watch game four with her, which was the third game the Indians won in a row in that series. Ouch. Being a lifelong Cubs fan, I totally thought actually that that was the end. But what a series. Don't worry, ladies and gents, the Cubs won. Yeah, yeah. So back to how we got here. We have been discussing cold cases and serial killers and podcasts. So it kind of seemed like we should create our own where we could give it our own spin. I've wanted to hear certain cases covered on a podcast, and it made me crazy that these lesser-known cases got zero attention. So here we are. I'm going to cover the cases I wanted to find on other podcasts. Exactly. I have a lot of local cases that have affected me, and I'd love to share here. That I'd love to share here. For me, it also is largely in part of wanting to lend something to solving cases that may be cold cases. The True Crime Project would love to hear from you. Please email us at truecrimeprojectpod, that's P-O-D, at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at truecrimeproject. Our Twitter handle, our Twitter handle, <laughs> our Twitter handle is at crime underscore project, and we would love to hear the cases that you want to hear covered on a podcast, or any local case that you just want to get a little attention in hopes of it getting solved. I love the idea of crowdsourcing people's knowledge to help solve cases, so holler at us. I will also post all relevant pictures to our podcast and funny murder-related things on our Instagram. P.S. We don't think murder is funny, but the memes are hilarious. I mean, I don't do gore or the gross parts. I hate murderers, but the psychology is intensely fascinating to me. And I feel that sometimes even when something is tragic, you just have to be able to laugh about it. Yep, so if you don't think comedy and dark, sh- dark shit mix, you've probably come to the wrong place. This ain't Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, y'all. I mean, I don't know. Mr. Rogers does exhibit some qualities of great serial killer. He's organized and meticulous. That's very true. Okay, boys and girls, buckle up. Hold on to your butts. This episode is our very first, and since it will be released on Halloween, we chose a case that also took place on Halloween night in 1974. This is a case that Steph brought to me and is one of the murderers known as the Candyman. Now, Steph brought this case to me, and I immediately thought of the serial killer, Dean Coral. 
that is also known as the Candyman because his family owned a candy factory. In fact, Dean Quarrel was a serial killer during the same time in the same area of Texas as the story we're going to tell. But this Candyman wasn't a serial killer. This Candyman you may better know as the man who killed Halloween if you're a 70s baby. And even though the, he only killed one child as opposed to the over two dozen the other murdered, for me, this one is much more sinister. On Halloween night, 1974, in Pasadena, Texas, 8-year-old Timothy O'Brien and his 4-year-old sister, Elizabeth, their father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, went trick-or-treating with their friends, the Bates family, just like millions of families across the nation will do tonight. The two fathers and their children had dinner at the Bates's and then headed out to nab some free candy. The dads fell into a pattern where Mr. O'Brien would walk the group up to the door and Mr. Bates would hang back by the sidewalk and wait to follow the kids as they ran ahead to the next house. Reading this gave me chills because I can just picture myself and my neighbor doing all of this, having dinner together, taking turns, following the kids up to the houses. It's all just innocent, childhood, memory-making Halloween normalcy. But for the O'Briens, that night would end in tragedy. The children and their dads continued like this until they came to one house that was, well, different. This house had no lights on, and when the children rang the doorbell, they gave it a solid 30 seconds before growing impatient. As children do, they ran along to the next house. Mr. O'Brien a few be- stayed a few beats longer, and when he caught back up to the group, he produced some awesome loot. Mr. O'Brien had scored at the dark house. What would be equivalent today to a king-size candy bar? Mr. O'Brien had picked up some pixie sticks. No, these aren't those little white paper pixie sticks that I immediately pictured. These are the huge, individually sold pixie sticks that come in the, you know, the large plastic tube. The kind you have to cut open with scissors to get your sugar coma on. Now, in my opinion, it was this choice of memorable candy that would eventually land the murderer tangled up in a red-handed web of lies. In 1974, Pop Rocks had just hit the scene, and that year, so those were huge. Pop Rocks are Fun disgusting. Can- <laughs> what? Pop, Pop Rocks are disgusting. <laughs> uh, I think my husband would disagree with you on that. Oh, he yes. actually really loves them. They're so gross. He also loves- huh? They're so gross. <laughs> not my favorite but he also loves fun dip and i can't stand that either (laughs) which was another huge common one in that time um but if the murderer had chosen any of those more normal more common ones it wouldn't have stood out to as much as the huge pixie stick did would have been a wiser choice but i'm glad the murderer in this case was a dumb 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 criminals get caught (laughs) So, Mr. O'Brien emerged from the dark house with five huge pixie sticks total. He gave one to each of his kids, one to each of the Bates kids, and gave the extra one to an 11-year-old boy out trick-or-treating whom he recognized from his church, where Ronald was the deacon and sang in the choir. It hadn't been the greatest weather that Halloween night, drizzling on and off, so when it started raining, the Bates and the O'Briens gave up and headed home early. When the O'Briens got back to their house, it was a scene like any home after trick-or-treating. The kids were begging to eat their candy. 
and to any parent that can get their kids home before they start begging for candy, I say kudos to you. (laughs) We can barely make it to the second house before my youngest is begging to eat something out of his bag. (laughs) Mr. O'Brien allowed the kids to each choose one piece of candy. Timothy, being a smart kid, of course he chose the biggest one, his jumbo pixie stick. Disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Those things probably have enough sugar to make an elephant diabetic. Right. Timothy greedily ate his pixie stick, but soon noticed something wasn't quite right. He complained that it tasted bitter, and his father didn't seem to think much of this and gave him some Kool-Aid to wash the taste out of his mouth. Upon learning that fact, there was a part of my brain that thought Jonestown and immediately wondered if it was actually flavored. Right. Hmm. Did you do you remember that story? I do. Yeah. <laughs> the kids washed up and went to bed shortly after. Mere minutes after Timothy was tucked into bed, he was running to the bathroom to vomit. Something was clearly very wrong. Timothy was lethargic and violently ill. Mr. O'Brien immediately called emergency services for help. Just by chance, there had been an ambulance in the area already, so one arrived within minutes of his call. But eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien wouldn't make it. Sadly, he passed away within less than an hour from the time he'd eaten the bitter-tasting pixie stick. As you can imagine, this was devastating. I mean, not only for a grieving family and their friends, but for the entire community. After talking with Mr. O'Brien at the hospital, it became clear that Timothy had been poisoned by some of his Halloween candy. This left the entire community reeling. And not just this isolated community, but people across the nation were hearing this story. This is before 24-hour news cycles. You pretty much had the 5 o'clock and the 10 o'clock news, and it was mostly local. So word of mouth turned the story into a bunch of urban legends. I spoke with a few people older than myself who were old enough to remember the 70s, and one friend said that she didn't even know why, but in 1975, she wasn't allowed to go trick-or-treating, which just so happened to be the year after this tragedy. At the time, she was 11 years old and living in Michigan. So you can see how far-reaching this was. I believe it's the reason parents are so militant about checking their kids' candy to this day. Even myself, I'm sure you do the same stuff. Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, not that I would probably be able to tell if there was poison in a Snickers, (laughs) but unless the package was clearly tampered with. Right. Now, as soon as police found out, they tackled, tracked down, tackled, (laughs) they tracked down the four other pixie sticks. Remember, Timothy wasn't the only one to receive one. They recovered Elizabeth's and the Bates kids' pixie sticks, all untouched. But remember that one kid from church? When police tracked down his family and showed up at his door, the 11-year-old boy was in his bed, fast asleep. But when they looked closely, they noticed in the boy's clamped hand was a large plastic pixie stick. Thankfully, the boy hadn't been strong enough to open the tube and had fallen asleep trying. Doesn't it just make your Satan sense tingle, though? If he'd been able to open it, this story would have ended just as tragically for him as it did for Timothy. Right. With a family in mourning and a community reeling, swearing to never trick-or-treat again, the police had to find the culprit. 
Steph is going to take you through the investigation and answer the question, who is the mysterious Candyman that killed Timothy O'Brien? Okay, so once 911 was called, the police actually got a hold of the former Harris County prosecutor, Mike Hinton, and told him that a boy was rushed to the hospital but was deceased by the time they made it to the hospital. Wanting to get the investigation underway, Hinton called the chief medical examiner and he asked what the boy's breath smelled like. Hinton then made a phone call to the morgue and they revealed the scent of almonds coming from the boy's mouth. The medical examiner um, lost my place. The medical examiner <laughs> concluded that Tiffany had Tiffany Timothy had been poisoned by cyanide. <laughs> Tiffany might have had a bad day too. <laughs> Later, autopsy reports suggested that he ingested enough cyanide to kill two adult men. Tests later conducted on the pixie sticks determined that the top part of it, at least two inches, was filled with the cyanide. Police officers recovered the other tainted candy then. They found that whoever was responsible had stapled the tops back together. That was what was saved the other boy's life was that staple. He was found in bed with it, but wasn't strong enough to undo the staples. The police took Ronald back to the neighborhood and wanted him to point out the house of which they got the candy from. But he just wasn't sure which house it was that he got them from. He said he didn't see the face of the guy, just that he had handed out the candy from the door. A few days later, police took him back out, and they were very firm with him this time. And he finally remembered which house it was. It's a miracle. Um... The guy that lived, yeah. the guy that lived there. All of a sudden, when the police put pressure on you, you know exactly where the candy came from. That's so strange. Right. The guy that lived there wasn't home, and he, he was at work, and they went to his work and arrested him in front of all of his colleagues. And that man's name is Courtney Melvin. He was an air traffic controller at William Hobby P. Airport, and it turns out he was at work the night of Halloween. His wife and daughter were home, but had went to bed early because they had ran out of candy. Hinton had heard that O'Brien was upset, that his family didn't stay up to watch a performance of him singing a song about Tiff T oh my God, Timothy joining the Lord in heaven. <laughs> Stop trying to change the kid's name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Things were starting to not add up. Investigators soon learned that O'Brien had taken out life insurance policies in the months leading up to Halloween, 10k per child in January and an additional 20,000 in October. Ronald had over $100,000 in debts, which today would be an astronomical amount of money since this was in the 70s. <clears throat> but the morning after Timothy died at 9 a.m., he called the insurance company about the payout from his son's death, which just doesn't add up because the payout from the insurance policies would not even have been enough to pay off all of O'Brien's debt. So it just doesn't make sense. Well, not only that, I don't think very many parents within 12 hours of your child's death are calling the insurance company to make sure you're getting paid. Only Maybe I never lost a child, but I don't think that would be on the forefront of my mind within a few hours. I think just, just throwing that out there. The only parents that would do that are the parents who murder their kids. 
I mean, I tend to agree, but again, <laughs> I've never lost a child, so I. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, O'Brien was actually attending classes at a local community college and would ask his professor questions like, what is more lethal, cyanide or a different type of poison? And another witness that worked for a chemical company in Houston said a man came in to buy cyanide but left when he was told that the smallest amount he could buy was five pounds. The employee said he couldn't remember what he looked like, just that he was wearing a smock-type garment like what a doctor would wear, which is exactly what Ronald wore to work as an optician. Investigators were granted a search warrant um, and recovered a pair of scissors that had the same plastic residue, which was similar that was found on the pixie stick. Ronald was arrested and brought in for questioning. This was years before DNA was really a thing, so they didn't have concrete, yes, he did it evidence, but Ronald maintained his innocence throughout the entire thing. Hinton was quoted saying that he remembers the case vividly. He said that Ronald loved the attention. He entered a not guilty plea with his defense blaming some unknown person for the tainted candy. But friends, family, and coworkers all testified against Ronald, who the press was now calling the Candyman. And on June 3rd, 1975, it took only 46 minutes for a jury to find him guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. And an hour later, it was revealed that Ronald Clark O'Brien would be executed by the electric electric chair. All appeal avenues were exhausted, and on March 31st, 1984, O'Brien was put to death for his crimes. By this time, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled that death by electrocution was cruel and unusual, so he was executed by lethal injection. 300 people gathered around the Texas State Penitentiary, Waiting to hear the news that O'Brien was dead, they were actually yelling trick-or-treat and throwing candy at anti-death protesters. It actually reminds me of, I mean, I don't know if this is a normal thing, because even though we have the death penalty in Illinois, I've never personally attended one. Um, but in the Ted Bundy case, they were outside having a party and yelling, fry, Ted, fry. So <laughs> I don't really get on board with this. Right. <laughs> Um, I have a statement from his wife. I just have to pull it up here real quick. I actually found his final statement to be also kind of narcissistic and a little disgusting. Um, right. Oh, where did it go? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Where I don't know. So he went to buy cyanide, but what five pounds was too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm curious, where did he actually buy the cyanide then? Um, I don't know. I couldn't find anything. Saying, where can you buy just the right amount of cyanide to kill your children? Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> sanity. I didn't even realize you could just go buy cyanide. Although it's in the 70s, so you could probably buy. A lot of things that you wouldn't be able to buy now. Right. Okay, so... He, um, so I have... Oh. He, oh, okay, go ahead. Um, so this is what his wife said. It's the end of a nightmare and the beginning of a brand new beginning. The slate will be wiped clean and we will get on with our life. And then... I know that her daughter, when she was 15, wanted to go visit her, her father in prison, like on death row... 
but her mom was just absolutely against it. I mean, I have mixed feelings on that because it's her. She's 15. I mean, she's probably come to terms with the fact that her dad tried to kill her. And it's her only chance for some kind of closure or to ask him, like, a, like why would you do this to us? Like, why was the money more important kind of thing? Right. But then again, as the protective mother, there's no way I would want my kid to see him ever again. So I, I don't know. That. I kind of see both sides of that. Yeah, I don't know that I would let my kids go see their dad if he ever did anything like that. But I really don't foresee their dad doing anything like that <laughs> let's freaking hope that no then you so, for sure would be doing a podcast uh, about me because i would kill him myself <laughs> so i have his statement which i wanted to read just because i don't know it's just so icky <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is about this is just before this is his last final statement before he was executed ronald said what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask for your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you and all. God bless you all, and may God God's best blessings be always yours. Ronald C. O'Brien. P.S. During my time here, I have been treated well by all TDC personnel. So... <laughs> He's just disgusting. Uh, I agree. Um, I think that his last statement is very, oh, woe is me. I'm the victim. And rather than legitimately apologizing, um, he basically is saying, I forgive you guys. <laughs> right. When they didn't fucking do anything. Well, and sending his love to all his loved, his undying love to his loved ones. It's like, what about your son, Timothy? Right. You're sending it to him, too. I mean, and that, but then I look at, so the P.S. during my time here, I've been treated well by all TDC personnel. If you've ever watched the Kurt Cobain uh, documentaries with his uh, suicide note that they think, like, the end of it is forged because it's totally different and, like, off, <laughs> I feel like... The TDC personnel ended that last one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I'm not saying they did. It just sounds odd, like... An oddly placed know. compliment. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, his his last statement struck me as just gross. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any further things about the man who killed halloween nope that is all that i have on him okay so that's our case for today but i think in order to get past the yuckiness maybe we'll do uh what did you do lately that was nice palate cleanse <laughs> um so today i sat around my house 
Yes. Well, that's nice. I slept in this morning, so that was nice. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't go to bed until, like, 3 o'clock last night, and then these kids were in here and woke the baby up at, like, 7 a.m., and I was not ready to be awake yet. Like, I've been grumpy and growling at everybody all day. Coffee. Coffee fixes everything. I love everyone after I've had a cup of coffee. That's a lie. I still hate everybody, but coffee makes me a little happier. <laughs> right. So what did you do? Um, I slept in, and actually I've been watching all of these videos to waste my time for crafts that I'll probably never legitimately actually do. <laughs> But I enjoy why there's something satisfying about watching someone else do them. Oh, my God. So there's that. <laughs> I think that's – is that a normal mom thing, maybe? I maybe think not. that's a 90% a mom thing. It always sounds good in theory, but, like, $800 later and you're still not done with it? Like, no, nobody's got time for that. <laughs> I mean, I watched one for about a good 10 minutes and then realized at the end that it was actually an ad and they were just trying to sell me a laminator. And <laughs> oh, my like, God. I, I really wanted to make this craft, but I really don't need a laminator. <laughs> oh, so, long story short, that craft's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, God. Um, now, I know there was something that we had discussed the really iTunes to mention the um the what Apple po- the Apple podcast reviews. Yes. Yes. So if you liked hearing us and we didn't, you know, totally make your ears bleed, hop on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, good or bad, doesn't matter, but the more reviews we have, the more will be seen when people search for true crime. <clears throat> Please leave us a review and also there should be another episode up as well. So if you're a binge listener like me, carry on to the next one. And we will see you again soon. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Happy Halloween. Yep. Ha- oh, yes. Happy Halloween, everybody. Check your candy. Yes. Yes. Don't let your kids eat pixie sticks or pop rocks or fun dip. Just throw it all away and go straight to the chocolate. <laughs> Agreed, 100%. (laughs) Okay, so we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody.